0: Hi, this is the Valley of Grace podcast, helping women reclaim their power, soul, and identity so they will know they are enough. I'm Katina Horton, the Love and Freedom Toxic Relationship Recovery Coach. And today's Bible message is The Hard to Detect Cerebral Vulnerable Narcissist. Once again, the name of today's Bible message is entitled The Hard to Detect Cerebral Vulnerable Narcissist. And before we get straight into the Bible teaching, I just want to give a shout out to Timothy Horton for bringing our intro and outro music to us every single
1: week. Be blessed. That I've done. change and maybe they take up the cross high again the valley of grace is never the same after he had died
0: because i'm excited about this message i just want to let you know that we always wear a tie so we can make an impact right and that means we're analyzing we are troubleshooting we're implementing empowering, and we're impacting women in our homes, our communities, and around the world. So once again, we're going to get into our message that I got tongue tied on. The devil is a liar, right? The hard to detect cerebral vulnerable narcissist, and let's begin. There are three kinds of narcissists that are hard to detect. And the first one is the self-righteous cerebral narcissist who's always saying, look at me, look at me, look at how holy I am. Look at how small and compact my car is. Look at how small my furniture is in the house. Look at how small and uh, compact my my stereo system is. Look at me. I exude virtue. Everybody clap for me. Look at how godly I am, right? That is the self-righteous cerebral narcissist, right? Then the second one that's hard to detect is the covert narcissist, who is an emotional manipulator, right? And you might say, honey, you know, I really gotta talk to you about something that's been bothering me. Uh, we were at the party. I saw you engaging inappropriately with some of my friends, and uh, as far as touching them inappropriately, hugs that seem to be too much of a friend embrace, so to speak. And then if, if, I'm, <laughs> if, if my eyes saw correctly, you were getting their phone numbers, so I just want to know, like, are we okay? Like, like, what's going on here in our relationship? And then your husband's response, well, Sheila is the host of the party, right? And if she had had enough stuff for us to do, you wouldn't have to worry about me going around getting woman's phone number. So that's why I got a, a Barbara's number. And then I got Sally's number. And then I got Mary's number. That's why I got their number because Sheila didn't have enough for us to do. We were just kind of standing around. So he shifted, right? He's blame shifted from his behavior to Sheila, the host of the party, not giving them enough to do, right? Not giving the attendance, the party attendance enough to do, okay? All right. So now we've got the third one and that's the cerebral vulnerable narcissist. And that's who we're talking about today, okay? Look at me. Look at me. Look at how much I know. Look at where I went to school. I went to Harvard, and then I went to Ivy, and I went to Princeton. Look at me. Look at my kids. Look at where they went to school. They went to school in three different states, three different private schools. Oh, look at me, and look at my children. Look at how much we know. Oh, look at me, and look at how much I'm suffering, too. Look at it. This is why my life looks like this. Oh, my goodness, I'm poor, and I'm single, and I'm divorced. Oh, look at me. I'm I'm just suffering. Oh, I'm suffering. So look at me, look at me, look at me. Look at me. And guess what? I'm so entitled that I might lie and steal and cheat and take all of your things because I don't feel that you deserve them. But look at me, look at me, look at how much I know and look at how much I'm suffering. That's the cerebral vulnerable narcissist. Okay. And that's who we're going to talk about today. And I guess that's why the devil got busy in my intro, right? Because he didn't want this information to go out. Don't forget if it's anything that's said in this Bible teaching, if you could please hit that like button, if you can share it with a friend, family member, coworker, whoever you feel that's going to be set free by this message today. Okay. Now I want you to remember now King Ahab was a vulnerable narc. Okay. And because of his kingship and the proximity of Naboth's vineyard, right? To King Ahab's house, he felt entitled to have Naboth's spot. Okay. So Naboth's vineyard is next to King Ahab's house. And because of that, and because of the fact that King Ahab is king, right? His kingship, he felt that those two reasons, proximity and kingship, entitled him to Naboth's vineyard without any question, right? And I just want to get you to to have the whole feel of the story before we go into the 20 different ways You are dealing with a cerebral vulnerable narcissist. I don't want you to miss this. I don't want you to miss it because, like I said, this is hard to detect. And when you come out of it, you're going to know that something was wrong, but you're going to be like, hmm, I don't know what's what what just happened. I don't know. You know what I'm saying? It's gonna be kind of a little bit of a state of confusion. And then you focus in so much on what that, the issues that that person was going through. But at the same time, you just be like, now something was off, but I just can't put my finger on it. So I want to really uh, armor you up with the tools uh, and the education that you need and actually do it from a spiritual mindset so we can see the vulnerable narcissist side. Because like I said, this is the cerebral vulnerable narcissist we're discussing. I want you to see the vulnerable narcissist side that's in scripture, okay? And so I'm going to be reading from 1 Kings, and this is the 21st chapter, okay? And I'm going to read from the first through the first to the 19 verses. I know it's a little bit, it's important to what I'm teaching, and then I'll go straight to the points. Some time passed after these events. Naboth the Jezreelite had a vineyard. It was in Jezreel next to the palace of King Ahab of Samaria. So Ahab spoke to Naboth saying, give me your vineyard so I can have it for a vegetable garden since it's right next to my palace. That's that entitlement. I will give you a better vineyard in its place. Or if you prefer, I will give you its value in silver. So he's giving him two options, either just, you know, Give it to me and I'll give you a better one or I'll give you silver for it. Right. And uh, then it says, but Naboth said to Ahab, I would never give my father's inheritance to you. So he knew the importance of that. So Ahab went to his palace, resentful and angry because of what Naboth, the Jezreelite had told him. He had said, I will not give you my father's inheritance. He lay down on his bed turned his face away and didn't eat any food, right? And so that's a big production right there. Remember, this is a grown man. This is not a little boy. This is a grown man with a theater production going on. The other thing that I want to point your attention to is two words, and I'm reading the uh, CSB, which is that uh, Christian standard Bible, the Christian study Bible, so what I'm doing, I want to go to, let's see, go back to, which verse was that? That is verse four, where it says, so Ahab went to his palace resentful and angry because of what Naboth the Jezreelite had told him. Resentful and angry is two words to take note of as to why I said that King Ahab, uh, part of his problem actually is that he was a vulnerable narcissist, Okay. Vulnerable narcissists are resentful and angry. And then when you have a cerebral vulnerable narcissist, right, which is who we're talking about today with that spirit, you've got a toxic cocktail on your hands. Okay. So I'm going to read on. Then his wife, Jezebel came to him and said to him, why are you so upset that you refuse to eat? So this showed you he had had, had to have had enough of a theater production. If she trying to figure out and saying in other words, like what's wrong with you, <laughs> right? Because I spoke to Naboth, the Jezreelite, he replied. I told him, give me your vineyard for silver, or if you wish, I will give you a vineyard in this place. But he said, I won't give you my vineyard. So he's basically just recanting the story. Uh, give you the vineyard of Naboth, the Jezreelite. So this lets you know right here, when she starts with all these verbs that the scripture is using. Exercise your royal power. Get up eat some food, be happy. I want to give you the vineyard of Naboth the Jezreelite. So she's got that takeover spirit that's coming out, right? That Jezebel spirit is a narcissistic takeover spirit, right? It's coming out, right? So she wrote letters in Ahab's name and sealed them with his seal. And it's also where she's emasculating him. This is a man, this is her husband. She sent the letters to the elders and nobles who live with Naboth in his city. In the letters she wrote, Proclaim a fast and seat Naboth at the head of the people. Then seat two wicked men opposite him and have them testify against him, saying, you have cursed God and the king. Then take him out and stone him to death. So that she had a fast proclaimed, which means that she's trying to act, like, act godly, right? As narcissistic people do, right? As the scripture says over in 2 Timothy, having the form of godliness and denying the power thereof, right? She's having to proclaim a fast. This is ridiculous. And it's a sin and a shame before God, as the old folks would say, right? Then she said to seat Naboth at the head of the table. So she's like pumping him up, right? This is like a love bombing thing, head of the people rather, not table, but the head of the people. Like, he look, look you got the spotlight, right? Then seat two wicked men opposite him and have them testify against him saying, you've cursed God and the king. Okay, so that's when the devaluing takes place. Then take him out and stone him to death. So that's the whole plot she got. That's the discard right there, right? So then the smear campaign begins. The men of his city, the elders and nobles, and I'm reading from verse 11, who lived in his city, did as Jezebel had sent toward them, to word to them, just as it was written in the letter she had sent them. They proclaimed a fast and seated Naboth at the head of the people. The two wicked men came in and sat opposite him. Then the wicked men testified against Naboth in the presence of the people, saying, Naboth has cursed God and the king. So they took him outside the city and stoned him to death with stones. Wow. This was just wicked. Then they sent word to Jezebel, Naboth has been stoned to death. When Jezebel heard that Naboth had been stoned to death, she said to Ahab, get up. Here we go again, This emasculating uh, language. Get up. Take possession of the vineyard of Naboth, the Jezreelite, who refused to give it to you for silver. Says Naboth isn't alive, but dead. So she's like, he gone. (laughs) Gone to get your stuff. When Ahab heard that Naboth was dead, he got up to go down to the vineyard of Naboth, the Jezreelite, to take possession of it. Then the word of the Lord came to Elijah the Tishbite. Get up and go meet King Ahab of Israel, who is in Samaria. He's in Naboth's vineyard. Where he has gone to take possession of it, tell him this is what the Lord says: Have you murdered and also taken possession? So the Lord sent Elijah to say, you know, give Elijah the message of like, you know, you need to go tell him this. This is what's gonna go down. Like I just want to let you know to let him know, okay, <laughs> that you are a hot mess and you're gonna pay. Then tell him this is what the Lord says: In the place where the dogs licked up Naboth's blood, the dogs will also lick up your blood. So isn't that something? So all of this happened, all of this transpired because of the fact that uh, King Ahab felt entitled, okay? That's, That's that entitlement, that spirit of entitlement, right? Coming from what? Stemming from the narcissism. He felt entitled to Naboth's vineyard just because of, like I said, the kingship, right? Him being king and proximity because the vineyard was right next door to his house. Now we're going to go over the 20 ways you know you are dealing with a cerebral vulnerable narcissist, okay? Number one, they usually fool around with the spirit of divination, right? And in their quest to be God, in their quest to know all, in their quest to prove themselves, to have all the answers and to be omniscient The sin of certainty is worshiped by them, right? From that cerebral side, right? Number two, that python spirit that they have from their spirit of divination often leads them to religious delusionment, right? Delusion, so to speak, right? That means that they start uh, getting involved in all kinds of theories involving uh, religion involving spirituality, supposedly involving Christianity, right? And then what happens is they take those theories and they run with it. They become so absorbed in it and the knowledge that's surrounding that, that they fill themselves with a spirit of fear. And then what happens is each and every individual that they interact with, that they're trying to show this knowledge off to, they in turn get infected with a spirit of fear. Number three, they use their schooling, okay, to puff themselves up, right? So not only do they use their schooling to puff themselves up, they use their children's schooling to puff puff their children up, right? And then it's like what happens is that uh, they develop all of these uh, philosophies and ideologies from going to those different schools And then they will sit and talk for hours about all of these so called philosophies and ideologies that they've developed in regards to what they know and also in regards to what it is that their children know. So there's a constant comparison going on, just like there was a comparison going on between Leah and Rachel when it comes to the cerebral vulnerable narcissist. That cerebral side is constantly comparing what they know to what you know. You see what I'm saying? So they're constantly uh, invoking that spirit, that one-upping spirit, which has a root of the seed of envy, right? Number four, they over-inflate what it is they know. Although they are very smart, extremely smart, right? And they may be gifted. There are some things that they may not be 100% knowledgeable about, but they will fake it. <laughs> okay. When the people, you know, we got this figure of speech, you fake it till you make it, so to speak. They will fake what it is that they know, right? So if it means that they need to uh, lie about their source of knowledge, if they need to lie about what schools they went to, if they need to lie about the certificates, they need to lie about their titles, uh, need to lie about their degrees or whatever, they will do it. Okay. Number five is every single chance that they get, they will correct you. They will suggest, well, do you think that you're using the right word? I I don't think that's the right word in this situation. Maybe you could have used, instead of saying that you felt sad, maybe you could have said your soul was grievous or you were grieved in your spirit. I I don't think that you meant to say that. And it's like, no, I, I did mean to say that. I don't need to be corrected. We're two adults. And no, I'm saying what it is I'm feeling. You don't need to correct me. Is what the unspoken is, right? But it's like, because of how they present themselves, you are in a position where you feel, maybe I shouldn't speak up, okay? So that is number five. And along with, kind of coinciding with that for number five is, They will use words and illustrations that will probably be good for like if you're teaching uh, some type of class on philosophies or different ideologies, that type of things in college or a group of professors. You see what I'm saying from this major corporation, but in everyday knowledge, it's unnecessary. It's really unnecessary when in everyday knowledge, we're trying to run up each other with the words that we're using, right? Right. And uh, trying to show you people that's supposed to be your friends or romantic partners or co workers, right? Brothers and sisters in Christ, like, look at how much I know. That's coming from a, a very much so false sense of friendship, relationship, etc. cetera, right? Number six, their speed, their spirit of one upping is stemming from the seed of envy, right? And insecurity and shame. They want so bad you want so badly to prove that you know the right answer. Once they start devaluing your choice of words and your expressions of certain uh people, places, things and ideas. You want so badly to prove that you're right and they're wrong or that you know what it is you're talking about so they can validate you, right? That you're saying the right word. The more you try to prove that you're right, the more entangled you are going to become. When it comes to a cerebral vulnerable narcissist, you're not going to win. Okay. Number seven, they claim to know more than you do, but when something happens to them that you have already experienced yourself, they will then say, Why didn't you tell me? They will blame you for not telling them when they already have a very unteachable spirit right? If you got somebody that knows everything, if they're a know-it-all, what can you tell them? Nothing. (laughs) The assistant principal of the grammar school that I went to used to have a figure of speech. He would say, nothing from nothing leaves nothing. And so if you know everything, right? And I know nothing, right? And and I'm I'm at the nothing, then how would telling you is going to benefit you at all? It's going to lead to zero. It's going to lead to nothing, right? Because according to you, I know zero. So why would I try to give information to you that you look at as zero? So zero minus zero is going to what? It's going to equal zero. So you might as well just let them find out on their own and then not even share the fact of what it is you had gone through. Because remember, they know everything. You got to keep that in mind. If you forget, keep telling yourself they know everything, right? And they might even get to the point where they ask you advice. What should I do? What can I do? Help me out. What should I do in this situation? That's all part of the theater production, okay? Because the rebellious side of that cerebral uh, vulnerable narcissist, right? And narcissism in general has a rebellious side to it, right? And a hardened heart. Spiritual blindness and arrogance, those four things, right? So that rebellious side of that narcissistic individual is going to do what they want to do anyway. There's no point in them asking anyone else, what should I do? It's just part of the theater production because after you've given all of the advice, what they're going to do is not take it. And then they're going to let you know about all the drama, trauma, chaos, confusion, buck wow, ghetto stuff that happened as a result of them not taking your advice. And then some time is going to pass and then all of the mess is just gonna start all up all over again. No point in giving advice because they're not going to take it. Number eight, they are unteachable. Unfortunately, right? As soon as you're trying to teach them about a concept, I know. But but have you thought about this? I know. But have you thought about that? Well, actually, I know. I know you're saying that. But have you thought about this? And I know we're supposed to take things and look at it for, from all kind of angles. This is not even that type of thing. This is once you are in a relationship with this type of individual. You will know exactly what I'm talking about because with everything you say, and we are supposed to be curious. We don't want to just take certain things at face value. This is a part of this this spirit, this cerebral uh, vulnerable narcissistic spirit. This is part of their MO to make sure that they question what you're saying. So it shows that what you're saying is invalid. It's just a way of invalidating you slash minimizing what it is that you've said. You see what I'm saying? I know, but this, you know, I don't know. You know, she might not be right. Where'd you get that from? I don't know if you're right. So they will do that. That's how you know they're unteachable. So it's no point, once again, somebody that's unteachable, it's no point in you trying to waste hot air, (laughs) trying to get them to understand what it is you're talking about. You're wasting time and energy and it's not our responsibility to do that anyway. You see what I'm saying? Okay, so number nine, cerebral, uh, vulnerable narcissists discredit professionals. So if you tell them something about what a professional said in relation to whatever topic you guys are talking about, yeah, I know, but but I bet they don't know about this. Well, I know you said that emotional and spiritual uh, maturity and 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 uh, health that they run hand in hand, and I know I've read all the books. Uh, regarding this, this particular psychologist, that particular psychologist, this shame researcher, that shame, I know all about that. I know, but, and, and I know they've done 20, 30, 40 years of research, but it's always, I know, but it's always that they know more, not only than you, they know more than the professionals who have been in these studies for 10 years, right? And also in order to discount and invalidate you, because remember, there's always a one-upping game, right? That you may or may not uh, knowingly be participating in. But in order for them to be able to keep one-upping you, they have to one-down the professional, the professional, right? But they already think that they're more knowledgeable than the professional anyway. So either way it goes, they're going to one-down the professional and they're going to one-down you. And in turn, they're one-downing the professional, right? It's just... Reinforcement, constant reinforcement. Okay. So then next, that's number 10. Number 10. Lack of empathy. And so what happens is this is what's going to fool you with that. When you first met that person, because you share so much and the information was so vulnerable, right? That you're like, wow, I'm surprised anybody would share that, which is why they call it cerebral vulnerable narcissist, right? Because they were vulnerable with you. So you're thinking if somebody's vulnerable with me, right? then that means that they have to have empathy. Mm-mm. All of that is done to just pull you in. <laughs> and it's going to last like that in that type of situation, just as long as they want it to last. But think about it. If anybody spends, and we all have been guilty uh, of being insecure, of having uh, low self-esteem, of being in a situation where we um, we've not shown our best selves. You know, our perfectionism will kick in, the insecurity and shame, and uh, sometimes that's the spirits of abandonment and rejection might kick in. So we might not necessarily be our best selves, right? And so any of us can be prone into getting into this one-upping type of thing. What I'm talking about is from the time this person wakes up to the time they go to bed, 24-7 365 days a, a, a year, right, for years and years and years and years. This is that person's MO. So it's one thing for you to know that there this, this seed of envy is in your heart and you need to work on that one-upping spirit, which is triggered by your, what, insecurities and that type of thing, right, and low self-esteem. So that's one thing. But what I'm talking about for a cerebral vulnerable narcissist, the one-upping, right, with that root is the seed of envy, that's their MO. That is their MO. Every day, all day long, 24-7, that is their norm. So think about it. If you are so caught up in uh, one-upping somebody else, how are you going to empathize with somebody that you're trying to prove that you're better than, you're superior than, you're greater than? How how can you empathize with somebody that you keep doing this to? You can't. And like I said, even though we all have baked into that competition, but I'm talking about this is part of, this is baked into an operating so to speak, operating system, so to speak, as if you are installing like Windows 10 or Windows 11 or whatever, right? This is baked into the operating system. So there's no way in the world that there can be empathy when all you're functioning on every day, all day long is trying to see how you can one-up somebody. It's just crazy, Right. It leads us to number 11. They use their vulnerability status to say, this is why my life looks like this. And I call it toxic comparative suffering because comparative suffering means where we're going through trials, tribulation, trauma, and drama. Somebody else is going through trials, tribulation, trauma, and drama. And then sometimes if we're not careful, we can start comparing it and thinking that you know, well, what I'm going through is worse than what you're going through because my mama's sick, and somebody else with well, my grandmother uncle sick. And then you figure because it's your mother, it should be more important. Nobody's situation is more or less important than the other person, and you can't even determine because it's a parent or another relative or a friend as far as how much pain somebody else is going through. That's not even our call to make. But sometimes we can be so haughty and thinking that. But like I said, once again, <laughs> with the lack of empathy and the one upping. This is baked into the operating system of a cerebral vulnerable narcissist. They do toxic comparative suffering all the way down to death where they're comparing who's in the most pain. And like I said, you get in there, you think you're going to get down there in the mud with them, you're going to get in that ring with them and fight and get entangled in that web. You're going to be right in the mud with them. It's going to be nasty. You're going to come out in filth and mud it's going to be a mess, right? And so, like I said, they got this toxic comparative suffering, right? And that toxic comparative suffering, believe it or not, is part of that is they will have like three to four lines that they say all the time. And it's going to be almost like a short little poem or a song they're saying all the time. If you pay attention, they're going to like recite these three to four lines. And it's going to be like, It's almost going to be the banner that they're wearing across like they're Miss America, except you won't know it's the banners after a while. You're like, man, they say that every day, all day long. But it's going to be uh, three or four lines that they're going to say that's going to uh, make everybody go like, wow, they really got it bad. You see what I'm saying? It's a banner that they wear. And it's toxic. I call it toxic comparison suffering as well as toxic victimhood. They actually uh, wear a trophy out of toxic victimhood. That's the only way I could think of it, right? But those three to four lines that they've made up and that they're wearing like a banner, it's their cover for not taking responsibility for their actions. And it's going to take you a while to figure that out. It's nothing but a cover. And what it is saying is basically, this is the reason why my life looked like this because I have more things that I'm responsible for than the average individual. Those three to four lines, they're going to be saying about what they're responsible for, about uh, their parents, relatives, children, all of that is all a cover, right? And you know how we all have different things of coping mechanisms slash dysfunctional patterns of behavior. Those three to four lines are a cover for not taking responsibility, right? It's like, this is why my life is just in an uproar. You see what I'm saying? This is why my house looks like this from top to bottom. It's a cover. It's going to be those three to four lines. They're saying every day, all day, and they're going to use it. The cerebral vulnerable narcissist is going to use those three to four lines. You're going to have it memorized in your head. It's going to be like a nightmare. I promise you that, right? And so what happens is that, like I said, all of us have things to do. One person might have 10 traumatic things. Another person might have five traumatic things. Numbers don't mean anything. Who the person is you're dealing with, what they're Uh, as far as I'm being physically sick, that doesn't mean anything. Neither one of us are any more or less important than the next, right? The ground is level at the foot of the cross. And we often forget that when it comes to the cerebral vulnerable narcissist, there is no level ground, right? They're always in the superior slash greater than, like you're dealing with two numbers slash more than position, always according to them, right? you're thinking you're level, you're not. (laughs) So the next one is number 12, the spirit of entitlement that resides within uh, within them when it comes to monies and valuables that other people uh, possess. There's a spirit of entitlement, right? When it comes to money and valuables that other people possess, uh, they feel that they should have, right? And sometimes this leads to theft, right? And so they also will use, like King Ahab did, they will use their status and their trials to reinforce their sense of entitlement. Well, I'm a single woman. And so I should be entitled to that. I am a divorced woman. I am uh, in poverty. I'm poverty stricken. I have uh, family members who are physically and mentally ill, right? Anything, right? I'm this race or have this ethnicity and part of this culture and have this type of tradition and part of this group. So I'm entitled to it. It's amazing what you will see come out of a cerebral vulnerable narcissist. It's enough to have your mouth open and not even know about how to close it. When you see the level of entitlement that is involved and a lot of them will really come out. And sneak a lot of little racist comments out there, little by little. It'll be like little uh, daggers, so to speak, in your soul a little bit at a time. And then when you go back, you go like, huh. When you start really thinking about it, that didn't feel good. That really didn't feel good. And you keep getting those daggers like that over time. That's racial trauma. Number 13, they will offer you breadcrumbs every now and then. So when I say that is, say, for instance, I already told you they're in superior, greater than, more than position, right? Always. They always in the one up and you always in the one down, right? And so they'll talk about all of their traumatic experiences and you'll talk about all your traumatic experiences and theirs is always better than yours, right? It's always superior. Even when it comes to, uh, like I said, trauma and death, it's just that bad. So what happens is... Every now and then you might get quiet on them as you're on the phone or in person, and then they might throw you a little breadcrumb, right? Oh, you know, your, your stuff is important too. You know, your trauma is important. You know, I know, I know the, the abuse you went through, you know, the neglect you went through. Oh, you, yours is important too. It's almost like as a side note, so to speak, right? Number 14, they will appear to be going uh, through the same things you're going through. They actually, they are I'll take that back. They're going through the same things you're going through and you're thinking you guys are on the same level, but you don't realize that they were always placing you in the one down position and they will always be in that superior position, right? So if it's trials and then you're talking, you both are talk, sharing your drama, right? You both being vulnerable, right? Cerebral vulnerable narcissist. You're both being vulnerable. They're talking about, um for instance, different family members and friends that have uh, certain people they're dealing with. And then you might be talking about dealing with those same type of people yourself, right? But then all of a sudden, all of a sudden they might just break out and say, but I'm talking about my sister. And then you're thinking to yourself, oh my gosh. And I'm talking about the fact that I'm dealing with this. So you're saying that your sister or whoever is related to you or a friend of yours, you are you trying to tell me that <laughs> what you're talking about is more important than what I'm talking about, and we're both going back and forth and sharing equally, that narcissism will (laughs) all of a sudden peek out at little bitty moments like that where you're just like, oh, wow, I can't believe this. And you're also going to do a oh, wow, when it gets to the point of comparing death and the pain you should be feeling compared to the pain they're feeling over relatives. And and you're just going to kind of like, not even know what to say. Like I said, your mouth going to be open, possibly with flies coming in because you're not going to even know what to say to deal with that. It, 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 it takes you. <laughs> it really takes you aback. I promise you that. Number 15, you're going to find yourself going to a cerebral vulnerable narcissist more than you going to God for answers, which means that you have set up a codependent relationship with them. Number 16, The cerebral vulnerable narcissist is cynical when it comes to you sharing about your volunteer work and or your children's volunteer work for things that matter in the world, that matter to churches, that matter in the communities at large, right? They will start up, you know, they'll seem to be going along like, oh, that's nice. And then the next thing you say, well, you know, they should really be putting their time and energy to do something else. And then you just are like, whoa! And it's obvious when those little moments slip out that they are resentful and jealous, and so you don't want to call them out on it. So then you'll find yourself like justifying and defending what it is you say. Well, you know that they're doing this, 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 and this, and you know you find yourself explaining to that person what it is that they're doing, like more about the project. And then they might go, oh. <laughs> and another thing, you're still like, oh wow. <laughs> number 17 for the cerebral vulnerable narcissism. We're almost done. Jealous and resentful when you are doing something that they desire to do and are skilled at doing well. So they might be skilled at it and desire to do it, but they're not doing it, but you're doing it. So they're going to be bitter, jealous, and resentful, right? And then what happens is you will share something. You'll find out because you'll share something about what you're doing. And their response is like, oh, yeah, I got a friend that's a motivational speaker. But, you know, um, he's skilled in that field and and he's been speaking for 23 years. He went to school, he has a degree in that. So in other words, they're telling you like you're not qualified. (laughs) I'll let you marinate on that for a minute. Number 18. They will use your compliments and or acknowledgments about their accomplishments to compete with you and then show you how resentful, angry, jealous they are, but how unentitled you are. Okay. Again, you might think, well, what does all of that mean? Say for instance, they tell you that they've decided that they are going to uh, plan a trip and go on vacation, right? That could be one thing, uh, or it could be that they're going to the museum, right? To one of the uh, Smithsonian museums, and they had never been there before, right? And so when you can be like, oh, wow, you, oh, my goodness, you're going to have a, a, ooh, a blessed time. Wow, that's so nice that you get a chance to go. You see what I'm saying? You're going to be pumping them up. You're going to be happy for them. You're going to be celebrating them, right? Celebrating with them and celebrating them. And then all of a sudden, this is how you know they've been bitter, jealous, jealous, and envious of you because they'll stick it in by saying something like, well, you know, you and your kids, you guys have gone some of everywhere. And then you're just like, okay. But it's not going to just happen at one time. Every time they do something and you start celebrating them, You're going to know that there's bitterness, resentment, and jealousy and envy there because they're going to say that every single time that you celebrate their accomplishments or anything that they decide to do, they're going to remind you where you know, you know, you and your kids have always done that. So that lets you know, right? It's like they're having this silent competition of trying to keep up with you and you never even thought of it that way. Okay. Let you marinate on that for a minute. Okay. So now, and then the other thing I want to say too, think about it, if I'm going to do something for myself and my children, but I'm doing it to base it off of what you did for yourself and your children, there's something wrong with that. If that's what the driving force is behind me, blessing myself and blessing my children is because of the fact that I've got to figure out a way to be able to try to keep up with you because I feel you're unentitled and I should be entitled because of your what? Because of your race, uh, nationality, ethnicity, culture, group status, whatever, that you shouldn't be entitled to this, but I should be. But then you've got to use me and my children and family members and whoever, church members, right? As saying, we've already experienced that. So that's why they're doing it. But this will be the rationale every single time. And this will let you know, this is number jealousy. That's all it can be. Envy, bitter, resentful, and jealous. And this will go on for years. Every time they do something, and every time you celebrate it, it's almost like you almost might as well not even try to celebrate it, so to speak, or even say it's nice because you know what's going to follow it. (laughs) I'm just telling you, I'm just keeping it real, right? Number 19, when someone, because narcissistic individuals um, do not work well on regulating their emotions. They use other people as supply, which in other words is other terms is called emotional regulators. And so because they have uh, very poor skills at that, right? If somebody uh, fills them up, if whatever somebody else said, because of their, uh, them swimming in shame, right? And them having a lot of insecurities, if someone says something to them that leads them to feeling a lot of shame, instead of them dealing with it, what they will often do is say something to someone else to offload the shame. And that's why when they say you're narcissistic supply, that's what the supply is. You're just emotional regulator, right? You're just a dumping ground. And I hate to just be like, oh, that's harsh. You're a dumping ground. So if someone says something to them that involves shame, In turn, they will come and say something to you, figure out what they can say to make you feel bad. And all of a sudden you're going to feel like your whole spirit is leaking out a spirit of shame. It's going to be toxic. And I mean toxic. When they bleed out, they bleed out. Number 20, when it comes to being love bombed by a cerebral vulnerable narcissist, what happens is you will both start out sharing a lot of information, right? Now, if both of you uh, ladies, or could be even two men, if both of you guys are sharing, if you're sharing information and it appears to be very vulnerable, and that's why you got the cerebral vulnerable narcissist, because they will share a lot of stuff that most narcissists will try to keep hidden. They will share a lot, right? Unbeknownst to you, this person is a narcissist, right? And so, what happens is from sharing all that vulnerable information, and you guys both going through trauma, drama, Uh, trials, tribulations, PTSD, et cetera, you end up trauma bonded, but you don't know that. So you start going through similar experiences, right? And they might be a month or two apart, but you start going through similar experiences. That's that individual. And you don't even have a clue why, right? So then what happens is uh, after a while of you sharing and all this vulnerability going on, they will stop being vulnerable and use everything that you have confided in them against you, right? That's option number one, when it comes to devaluing. Option number two is, let say for instance, you've been growing and healing, and you are under the assumption that they are growing and healing right along with you, but you don't have a clue that they're not. <laughs> you don't have a clue they're not growing and healing right along with you, right? And so what happens is that over time, Whereas before, when it first started out, you guys was, it was mutual sharing of vulnerability, right? That stops, that closes up, right? And then it'll be like, things will happen in their life. You'll be eager to know, but they'll be like, you know what? I don't feel like talking about it right now. And you know how it is sometimes when things happen, we do feel like they're like, mm, I, I just don't feel like going out. I don't want to go there right now. You would notice this person will always start doing this whenever something happens you see what I'm saying? And so that will let you know they're closing off that vulnerability part. They're not giving it to you anymore. They will often do that as option number two, either option number one, they're going to use what you said against you. Then option number two, if you're growing and healing, they feel like you might be onto them. They will just stop sharing a lot of stuff with you. Right. And then what will happen part two of it is they will start on these ghosting sprints where you will hear from them every three, two to three months and maybe even four max. And it's kind of like checking in to make sure you're still there. Then they will tell you 20 or 30 traumatic things that will literally give you secondhand trauma. You're engaging again, conversation, listening to what they're saying. As soon as you start sharing your piece, all of a sudden they have to go. You see what I'm saying? And then it's another two to four months or so before you hear from them again. And then finally you're stuck. It's like they're checking to make sure that you're still in their back pocket. So if they need you, right? And they're like I say, every time you talk to them, it's gonna be a 20 to 30 things at least of traumatic events that you're gonna be getting secondhand trauma from. Then finally, when they're done, done, then they're just gonna end up ghosting you. That's the option for when they know you're growing and healing to a level. That if they start doing what um, you expect them to do for a person who's narcissistic, that you would be on to them. And so rather than to do that, especially if you share with them that you've been on to other individuals who have toxic traits, they would just rather ghost you than to go ahead and do a uh, regular devaluation and discard. They'll just stop giving you information and start slowly ghosting you over time. Rather than going through a regular uh, devaluation and discard, which in that case, it'll be so obvious, right? Because especially if you've gone through some things with them together and already shared about what this narcissistic individual has done, but then they themselves are narcissistic, they're going to know they can't pull that same thing on you because you're going to be too smart to figure it out. But you're thinking they're growing right along with you. You find out none of that has been going on. You're the one that's been growing. You see what I'm saying? They haven't. And so, like I said, that's how the, um, that's how the love bombing looks. And so what happens is that before I get into five things that you can do to help yourself when it comes to a cerebral, uh, vulnerable narcissist, what I do want to uh, suggest is that it, just to give yourself some grace though, because of the fact you're going to think when you get to a point of healing and growing, your assumption is we're, like I said, your assumption all along was that you were on the same level, but you never were. Okay. That's assumption. Number one, that was wrong. Assumption number two, you're going to assume, right. That they have also, because of the evidence of the words of their knowledge coming out of your mouth, you're not just assuming you are assuming, but I'm saying the proof is that they've been talking all of the right words. So you had no, um, reason to think differently, so to speak. Right. They've been saying, using all of the right language. Right. But Jezebel used all the right language in scripture she said to proclaim a fast that was some godly to do killing a man just to take over his property is not godly it's just wicked and to get two people two wicked people to uh have a smear uh, to uh, have a smear campaign and lie right and gaslight about what had actually happened there's nothing godly about that right that was the form of godliness right and so this person would have the form of growth. The form of walking in wholeness, the form of healing and trauma, none of that is going to be going on. You're going to think you're on the same level. And like I said, it's not just as a matter of assuming, because I know the figure speech about that. Their words and all of that is going to make you think, wow, we're both growing. And then after a while, you're going to realize that's not what's been going on. And then in a sense, you're going to feel some sense of betrayal, if that makes sense. Because if you're thinking somebody on the same page as you because they've got the language and they're not, that's going to kind of do something to your psyche, if that makes sense. So, now we're going to talk about the five things that you can do when you're dealing with a cerebral uh, narcissistic individual. And these are going to be pretty fast. Number one, don't ever try to one up a cerebral vulnerable narcissist. You will not win. I promise you that. You will not win. You're just going to get dirty. You're going to get down and dirty in the mud with them. You will not win. Okay. You're casting your pearls to swine. They don't care. Number two, let them feel like they're winning whatever they want to win. And that might even include walking away from the conversation in a very tactful way. Let them win. (laughs) Number three, take care, extra care in not trying to prove yourself to them. Because they only—the more you prove yourself, the more entangled you're going to be coming their way up. The more you're going to try to prove yourself, the more they're going to devalue what you say, right? Words, phrases, sentences, uh, your knowledge of something—they're going to keep invalidating, keep minimizing whatever they've got to say to prove that you and the professionals that you quote are wrong, right? So there's no point in trying to prove yourself to them. You're only going to end up on what I call, with my freedomology uh, methodology, you're going to be at that disconnection, lack cycle of addiction, love, approval, comfort, and knowledge. You're going to get on the hamster wheel, right? And you're going to put every person, place, thing, and or idea on there with you. And you're going to get on on the same destination, right? You're going to get off of the same destination. The same starting point and end point is going to be the same, right? (laughs) You might have lost some pounds, but there's not going to be any knowledge or wisdom gained from that, except you know how to go around and around and around till you feel like you're crazy. That's what you're going to be doing, striving to prove yourself to an individual who does not care. They only want to appear and be at the top, and they would do whatever they can to prove that, whether it's through their... Uh, frailties through their trials, tribulations, trauma, drama, the vulnerable side, or whether it's on top through the cerebral side, right? Because it's the cerebral side that wants them to be on top, the cerebral, the knowledge side, right? All costs. So trying to prove yourself is only going to have you striving on a hamster wheel that you'll never get off of. And you've already, if you've already started growing, right? And working on those hamster wheel things, all you're going to do is start to regress if you fool around with a cerebral vulnerable narcissist, right? you'll never get off the wheel. And that'll be your life there. I tell you, it's, it's once you get caught into a cycle, it's hard to come out and break that cycle. Okay, now number four, yes, gain your approval from God. Have healthy conversations with people and topics of interest with people you know will validate you, right? Will not minimize what you're saying. Will love on you, will, would love to, if uh, they value you, they appreciate you. They love on you, right? And they want to help you to bring out the best version of yourself, right? And so, otherwise, it's a waste of time. If you're looking to be validated by someone who's, once again, I'll mention those four points for all narcissistic individuals, they're spiritually blind, rebellious, and they're arrogant, right? And they've got a hardness of heart, spiritual blindness rebellious hardness of heart and arrogance so anytime you're trying to prove yourself to an individual that's got all four of these things going on you're just wasting your time and energy in an area that can be used somewhere else for healing growth wholeness learning a new uh about some other topic of interest you have you're wasting your time you got to find some healthy people who's going to love on you and want to truly hear what you've got to say and not somebody that's faking just to be able to say, oh, look at how smart I am. And to use certain words out of context, just to prove like they're the smartest one when it comes to them being in a group of people. It's a waste of time. Number five, this is the final one. No contact if necessary, right? And then if you have to be in contact with this person, it would be limited contact because guess what? When you're around people that have toxins in them, just like if you're in a home and it's filled with black mold, etc., you're going to ingest those toxins. It's the same thing when there's toxins coming out uh, from a person's intellectual, spiritual, physical, emotional, uh, mental uh, well being, right? Any of those areas is going to be toxins coming out. Those words that they're saying are going to leak into your spirit. And then you're going to start dealing with PTSD, right? And trauma symptoms. And all of a sudden your obtrusive thoughts is going to be stuff that they've said that they've used to criticize you. And yeah, but I, yeah, but, but actually now I know that person said that, but no, 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 to try to discount you. The next thing you know, it's going to be in your head, right? And either you're going to have to, you're going to either internalize it, right? Or you're going to have to heal and reframe that so you can throw it away right? Or either you're going to blow that trauma through somebody else by doing to the other person what this cerebral vulnerable narcissist has just done to you. And that's not right either. No one wants anybody else's uh, trauma. Trust me, everybody got enough trauma of their own than to try to uh, inherit trauma. Like we're inheriting what, uh, what we get from the kingdom of God or from our uh, natural physical families. Nobody wants that kind of inheritance, I promise you. I want you to remember you are enough. Reclaim your power, soul, and identity today. And then I want you to reclaim the power, soul, and identity of your calling. And don't forget, if it was anything in this message that was of value, I would love for you to hit the like button, love for you to share it, love for you to even put in the comments, if it's anything that was enlightening to you, that was a light bulb moment that could help somebody else share the information. I know a lot of times we we can share all kinds of mess with people. And sometimes when it comes to the things of God and learning and growing, we kind of shy away from that, but we'll send other things. You know what I'm saying? And so that's what I'm hoping that you would do. I want you to grab your keys to the kingdom. And then I want you to get your inheritance. Okay. We analyze, troubleshoot, implement, and right? Empower and impact the women in our homes, communities, and the world. I love you and be blessed until next time.
1: Valleys into places to learn instead of burn and perish away in nights never so cold without his grace. How could I say that I've seen the world from his great love? How could I know what he could love? What he had in store for me if I didn't give up and let him be my valley of grace. Where things would change and maybe they'd take up the cross high again. The valley of grace never was the same after he had died. that refined Fade away when I see I need more of him he whispers the sweetest of mercies upon my ears and I won't go back the way it was again again